0: I uh, I love villains, but part of the appeal of a villain is that they are, in my opinion, the best villains are interesting and terrifying, and you hate them, and you love them, and you hate to love them, and you love to hate them, and they're complex, and, and part of that is, part of that complexity is not that like, I've looked under the hood, and you are actually just a good person. Like, that seems very boring to me. Um, it's that you are dangerous, and... Um, scary but i see myself in you and perhaps you know we are the two people who connect the most in this world but you are still you it is not in spite of what you are but it is because of what you are and perhaps because of what i am too whether or not i want to admit it hi uh, my name is Alyssa wong i'm based out of north carolina I uh, write mostly short fiction, but I do a lot of things. Up until about a month ago, I was uh, writing for video games, and now I'm chilling out. So uh, that's me.
1: Alyssa Wong's work has appeared in fantasy and science fiction, Strange Horizons, Black Static, and Tor.com, among others. Her stories have been shortlisted for the Hugo Award, the Bram Stoker Award, and the Shirley Jackson Award. Her 2015 story, Hungry Daughters of Starving Mothers, first published in Nightmare Magazine, won the Nebula and World Fantasy Awards for Best Short Story. And her 2016 story, You Will Surely Drown Here If You Stay, published in Uncanny, won the Locus Award for Best Novelette.
0: I I like to write people who are terrified of themselves. And so when they see something that they fear, it's because something is reflected about themselves that they don't want to think about. I, I think that fear and hate is a really good point of trying to figure out what is going on with you you know, why are you feeling this? Why does this person bother you? Why does this thing terrify you? And and maybe it's as simple as, when I was a child, I stepped on a scorpion and now I'm terrified of scorpions, right? Or maybe it's something that's like, when I was a child, I stepped on a scorpion while in my own house and therefore the fear of the things that are closest to me um, and that I take for granted being able to hurt me when I'm, if I'm not always paying attention, maybe that's the deeper fear, right? And maybe it's maybe it's not actually the, the bug, and maybe it's maybe it's fear of intimate betrayal. I definitely think that what people are scared of says a lot about them.
1: <laughs> Alyssa grew up in Arizona, steeped in the stories of the Bible and the wild beauty of the desert. In her self-described, a level-up story, The Fisher Queen, a coming-of-age story set in a world of sex and violence and mermaids, she tackles timeless mysteries of faith and monsters, of love and betrayal, leading her protagonist on a journey towards an understanding of the world, her family, and herself that is at once dark and true. In this story, as with so many of Alyssa's stories, that understanding, that knowledge that comes from confronting the face of terror, carries with it the power, and perhaps the responsibility, to remake the world.
0: I am just like you, but better. And you could be like me if you stop being afraid of yourself. And I think that that message is incredibly appealing to so many people. If you could just stop being afraid of the things that you are afraid of about yourself, you could be anything. You could be beautiful and strong and confident and powerful. Like, who doesn't want that, right?
1: Recently, Alyssa spoke with us about, among other things, faith, monsters, trash pigs, sex, guilt, finding beauty in what others call ugly, and the joys of learning to dance with the dark.
0: I think, yeah, it was it was always interesting to see the things that people didn't like and find out if I also didn't like them, and maybe I did. Maybe I did like them, and maybe that made me wrong. Maybe that proved that I was wrong. But in truth, like, it, it didn't. It just meant I liked trash pigs, like, and scorpions, and, and rattlesnakes, like, and sharks. Um... Maybe quote-unquote normal kids my age didn't, but it didn't make me more or less special, better, wrong, whatever. Um, It just made me whatever the fuck I am, and I'm okay with that.
1: (laughs) I'm Chris Camerood, and this is a Storylogical Pocket interview with Alyssa Wong.
0: No, I, I miss desert all the time, um, and especially, yeah, when it rains. It's such a beautiful landscape, and I think a lot of people think it's kind of ugly, because uh, it's, very, it's very brown and there aren't a lot of trees, um, and what, what vegetation there is, it looks really sparse, and it's usually also brown and sometimes spiky. <laughs> but um, there's nothing like the Sonoran Desert. It's, it's beautiful. The sky is gorgeous. The colors are gorgeous. Um, when the sun comes up and goes down, the mountains turn purple. I miss saguaros a lot. The saguaros are so pretty. They're, they look a bit like people, although they can get really big and just keep sprouting arms. Um, so um, yeah. they're a uh, very rare species. Um, so you can go to jail. Uh, I believe, for for killing a saguaro. There is uh, something... I'm trying to remember what it's called. I think it's called plugging. um, Where uh, you... And it's very illegal. Where you shoot at a cactus um, and you punch holes in it. And um, on the Wikipedia article about plugging, uh, it cites this one story of this guy who got really drunk and was shooting at a cactus and went over to poke it. Like, just, I guess, just to see what it it would do. And... uh, The uh, arm of the cactus, one giant arm that weighed, like, several hundred pounds, fell off of the cactus and, like, crushed him. (laughs) Um, So he just, like, fell on his head and crushed him. And then to add insult to injury, the rest of the cactus tipped over and fell on him and he died. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, well, at that point, dude, you had it coming. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Was the desert, like, a landscape you could go into as a kid? Or was it just something nearby that...
0: Um, so I grew up, um, with, like, a mountain in, in my backyard, so phone and internet signal is kind of terrible. Like, you would get, like, desert animals coming down from the mountains, um, and roaming the neighborhood all the time, and, uh, you may have heard me talking about trash pigs. Um, they're not actually pigs. Uh, they do eat your trash. Um, they're called javelinas, um, they're peccaries. Mm. So, they look like pigs, but they're not pigs. Um, and they would come down in the mountain, from the mountains in packs of, like, 25 to 30 um and like roam the neighborhood and knock over trash cans and eat your trash and your flowers. Um and they smell really bad. But I love them because they're so cute. Um and there was an empty lot next to us that was just like weird desert land. Um it is no longer there. But as a kid I used to play there all the time. Um you know, just pick up weird sticks, uh keep your eyes on the ground to make sure you're not stepping near any rattlesnakes you know things like that
1: (laughs) were you making up stories or just just kind of wandering in a daydream
0: oh yeah no we would make up stories we played a lot of pretend um trying to remember if there were any specific plot lines but we would find a lot of bones um Uh so we would we would talk about what kinds of weird animals the bones came from um and then like pretend to hunt or be hunted by these weird animals um We'd gather all the bones and, like, (laughs) make tiny shrines and stuff. (laughs) I think if my parents knew, they'd be really upset. But, um,
2: yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Uh,
1: (laughs) What uh, what did your parents do? Like, what were they off doing with their life while you were building bone shrines?
2: Oh. (laughs) Uh,
0: My dad is an allergist. um, So he was off, I guess, uh, treating people for... uh, immunological diseases um Mm -hmm. but um my mom uh stayed home to watch us um i think because she uh she was working full-time and then she was like i don't want to not see my children grow up so um she ended up keeping an eye on us which is good because uh terrible stuff can happen to you in the desert (laughs) if you're a young child and don't understand that water is important so
1: (laughs) wow, yeah yeah, I mean, it does sound a bit like a magical, um, scary place. Is that yeah. something you were aware of at the time? Or something, like, when you look back on it now, it seems a bit more magical and scary?
0: I think it's always felt pretty magical to me. Um, but I, I, I think, looking back, it looks more scary from the outside. But when you are when you grow up there, it doesn't really occur to you to be scared. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Um like, I grew up with scorpions and rattlesnakes, and and you just grow up knowing what to do around them, um, because they're always going to be there. Um, the scorpion, you don't step on them. You just have to be very careful and watch <laughs> the ground. Um, wear shoes. Not inside, yeah. um, but, you know. Right. Scorpions would come in the house, and rattlesnakes, not in the house, thank God. Um, the rattlesnakes, you hear the rattle, and you just stop you don't move you try to figure out which direction the rattle's coming from and then you backtrack very 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 slowly away from that because um, they don't like it when you trespass in their territory <laughs>
1: uh do you do you have a different fear threshold than other people you come into contact with
0: <laughs> uh like in general i i think i do um it's weird. Uh, people always act surprised, like, they're always super surprised when I'm like, oh, yes, I write horror. And everyone's always very shocked. Um, and I'm not entirely sure why. But um, also when I talk about stories, and I'm like, here's a thing that I would like to write. Here's the pitch. And and they're all, I, I feel like my friends are always like, we weren't quite expecting that. that, that Alyssa, that's really really horrifying and it just (laughs) i guess it just like wouldn't really occur to me a lot of the time which is kind of embarrassing (laughs) but um i think the two things that i'm really scared of are drowning um i just i kind of don't really understand water which which sounds embarrassing but
1: that's okay grew up next to a desert so at least in the context of this interview (laughs) it sounds completely reasonable
0: oh thank you that's good (laughs) um Yeah, I don't know. Um, Drowning terrifies me. I don't know what's in water. Like, there could be all kinds of weird amoebas and, like, animals and stuff. Um, Hmm. I don't know. And then drowning, because in the end, our bodies are only very frail. um, And water doesn't care if you live or die. So, yeah, drowning is (laughs) horrifying. Yeah. Um, And dying in space, weirdly enough, freaks me out. Um, Because it's kind of like drowning But in not water Like you run out of oxygen And you're just kind of You're kind of just fucked So like that's that's it Um, So but it's it's that same Like the dying in space thing Is like knowing that you are going to die And being unable to stop it Um, That's scary
1: Yeah just the long wait Like that Yeah.
0: Yeah Yeah
1: Yeah, have you seen Gravity?
0: No, and on purpose, because <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I can handle Gravity. Um, yeah, like, I'm down yeah. with horror movies, but Gravity is just, I was like, this, this looks too scary for me. I can't,
2: I can't do this.
1: I used to be terrified of sharks. Uh, my mom was convinced it was because I saw a commercial for Jaws when I was a very small oh. child. Um, oh... Baywatch, before it became what people think of as Baywatch, was just a show on the beach. And I remember Mm. us watching it as a family, and a shark came on because they were in the ocean, and I had to run away and hide. Uh, Oh, no. Yeah. But, you know, I'm then the kind of person that when I was older, I watched Shark Week on the Discovery Channel to try to (laughs) cure myself of my fear. Um, Were you watching horror movies when you were a kid? Was that your introduction to horror?
2: Um,
0: so, uh, weirdly enough, I, my favorite movie when I was like three or four was Jaws. (laughs) Um, but that was because I was, I was a shark nut. I, Mm -hmm. I loved sharks for some reason. I was just like, I love sharks. And that was that I had a bunch of like, I had a stuffed shark. I had a bunch of plastic sharks. Um, I like Jaws. I had t-shirts with sharks on them. I don't know. Um, but no, actually, my mom was very protective of what we watched and what we, we looked at. Um, so I didn't actually see my first, other than Jaws, my okay. first like full R-rated movie until I was about 17 or 18. Um, but um, yeah, no, I actually think my introduction to horror was probably just the Bible. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I spent a lot of time reading and rereading uh revelation and uh lamentations too because i those were like the most dramatic and interesting to me um my family is pretty religious so um yeah i just i read the bible over and over and over and i could not memorize verses i i knew the gist of stuff that happened but all i was really interested in were like the the crazy images um like the plagues um
1: (laughs) The, and, the stuff and, that would kill you.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, that, that's interesting. Yeah. Or, like, weird weird monster-type things. The angels, um, the demons. Like, those are really interesting. Um, so my favorite model for horror right now mm-hmm. is Junji Ito's stuff. Um, are you familiar with Junji Ito? I don't think so. So Junji Ito uh, writes manga, um, and he writes... Most of his stuff is fairly, like, short, one-shot type stuff Um, so small individual stories he has a couple that are longer that are pretty well known like Uzumaki and uh, Tomie and Gyo Uh, but um, something that is really common in Junji Ito stories and I think is very obvious in the shorter ones too um, is that weird stuff happens horrifying awful stuff happens and there's no reason for it you just roll with it you just go Um, so he has this one, um, he has this one story, uh, where there are a bunch of people hiding inside of a house, like a family, um, and their voices, like, their, their own voices are coming from outside, um, and you find out it's because there are these giant balloons with their faces on them, and if the balloon finds you, like, with your face on it, it Mm -hmm. grabs you and soars up into the sky and you disappear forever. Like, that. (laughs) like that, that's the whole thing <laughs> right
1: right into space probably
0: yeah I, I probably where you just die yeah knowing you're gonna die in space mm-hmm. um but like that's the whole thing and it's terrifying like the premise is ridiculous but it is horrifying and there's no reason that the balloons are there they're just there like this just happened and you just kind of have to deal with it um like that is my favorite model for horror is that there's no fucking reason it just happens um and that's kind of very biblical too.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, like why is it this way? I don't know. God said so, I guess, or like it's just time for everything like a third of the world to mm-hmm. die. And also all the oceans are now blood.
2: Yeah. Cause why
0: not? Like, let's let's do it.
1: I mean, I guess the Bible is just a really long book of many different people trying to come to terms with things that they don't understand. Yeah. it's terrifying.
0: I definitely think so. It's super trippy. Yeah. I think that that lack of interest in, uh, not reason exactly, (laughs) um, but the lack of interest in explaining the why has definitely Mm -hmm. informed the way I write. Um, like, uh, I have the story, uh, you'll surely drown here if you stay. Mm-hmm. Um which I still to this day describe as um a necromancer Cinderella story. But apparently no one knows that it's a Cinderella story. Like I what
1: there's a part where a shoe falls off.
0: Uh, there's a part where the shoe falls off. There's the whole like Ashpadal rhyme thing yeah. that's like there's the father's grave with the trees over it. There are the birds that bring him stuff.
1: Right, um, right. I couldn't not picture that scene as an inversion of the Disney scenes with the birds. Uh, anyway, yes, I think yeah. you're entirely right. But, yes, go ahead.
0: <laughs> Thank you. So it was supposed to be, be Cinderella's story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. story. we're like, what? But, um, like, there's a lot of stuff that just is, right? Like, his mom is the desert. Th- there's yeah. no explanation for it. She just is. Like, and... Like how did it happen? That was one of the things I got when I when I brought that to my MFA, to workshop. Mm-hmm. People were like, "How did this happen? Like why? Like what do you mean? His mother is a desert. Like who is his actual mother?" I was like, "It's the desert." And they were like, "But why and how?" And I was like, <laughs> uh, just, "Just is like, uh. mm. um, you know why is why is anything really?" Um, yeah. I, why, why the fuck not? Is is more the question. Um, you know, why does he turn into a weird desert beast thing? <laughs> desert powers, I guess. Waves mm. hand like. Ooh.
1: <laughs> Where did you lose interest in the, the why?
0: You know, I think I've always felt this way. Um, I think when you're a kid, like. The why is important because you want to know more about the world, Mm -hmm. but also your sense of why isn't particularly concrete, um, because you don't know enough about the world. Right. Um, and I mean, and of course now I'm very interested in the why, but when it comes to storytelling, I'm just like, eh, just go with it. There are things you need to know and trust me to tell you the things you need to know, Mm. like, and the why behind the things you need to know. But the rest, it's just background. Um, it's a setup, right? Like, the balloon mm-hmm. story is not really about the balloons. Right. I mean, it kind of is. But, but you know, it, it's also about how this family reacts under pressure um, in this horrifying situation. Right. Um, I think that's really um, sort of like the weird, unknowable horror. When I think of weird, unknowable mm-hmm. horror, I don't actually think Lovecraft. No, um, no. But no. <laughs> I... I no no not at all i'm like i know exactly why with you like you were scared of brown people and also women like
1: <laughs> there's something i think about in fisher queen and hungry daughters and i guess like natural skin i feel like there are a lot of characters in those stories that people might think of as villainous like the <laughs> the, the mermaid in fisher queen or in natural skin um What is the name of the...
0: Oh, the Flesh Doctor? Yeah, the
1: Flesh Doctor. Do they have a name? We can just call them the Flesh Doctor. Um, The Flesh Doctor. That obviously sounds like they're villainous. They're called the Flesh Doctor. Uh, That is true. (laughs) (laughs) um, um, Where, you know, in in the story, our sympathies often shift a bit more towards the villainous person over time. Like, Mm -hmm. we come to understand them a bit more. But in the stories, they never really stop being scary. And it struck me that that seemed important like not everyone does Mm. that when some some stories when they humanize monsters they turn them into good guys or turn them into victims but it seems like something is important to you about not taking away what makes them scary
2: Mm -hmm.
0: well it is it is important to me um i think that those characters are very interesting um i uh i love villains but part of the appeal of a villain is that they are, in my opinion, the best villains are interesting and terrifying and you hate them and you love them and you hate to love them and you love to hate them and they're complex. And, and part of that is part of that complexity is not the, like, I've looked under the hood and you are actually just a good person. (laughs) Like that seems very boring to me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's that you are dangerous and, um, scary but i see myself in you and perhaps you know we are the two people who connect the most in this world but you are still you it is not in spite of what you are but it is because of what you are and perhaps because of what i am too whether or not i want to admit it so like um in natural skin uh the only person who the protagonist meets who has like at all a healthy relationship with the way that the protagonist looks and, like, you know, her own... The only person who has, like, a, a really healthy relationship with that is the flesh doctor. Who's like, you don't need any more surgery, you know. If you want it, you can have it, but, you know, you are already beautiful. And it's not like... She's like, I am not put off by the fact that you've had, like, a billion surgeries. In fact, I think that it is it is gorgeous. You're already a masterpiece. Um, and... And nobody, nobody in that story says that to her other than this person who is, I mean, she's a, she's a black market doctor who sells human parts. Like, this.
1: I, why, well, I guess I mean, particularly in your stories, but it's something that I remember enjoying and Buffy too. Um, do you know Buffy, the TV show?
0: Um, I do. I'm not, I'm not okay. super duper
1: familiar with it. It's, it's just, um. A similar feeling in, in, that I was thinking about in your story is that the villains understand the, the heroes more than the heroes understand themselves. And I wonder what fascinates you about that idea that the villains seem to have this insight that no one else in the story seems capable of having.
0: Hmm. Well, I like... I like the idea of the bad ending, right? Like (laughs) there was always, there's always a worst end path. Um, I, uh, I also on a very personal level, I find uh, scary characters very appealing. Um, So I always want to write them because Mm -hmm. they're fun and uh, because I think they're hot. Like, you know, like it just happens. Um, Yeah. But (laughs) like,
1: what is like, yeah, horror is quite sexy often. It is. Uh, it's
0: it's an incredibly embodied genre i think horror is very visceral right like mm-hmm. it has to appeal to you on a very visceral level um and you know it's a lot of it is about bodies um a lot of it is about even like emotional horror is, is very tied to the body i think um anything with weird body horror i'm super down for um because bodies are terrifying um but in mm-hmm. terms of like but to back it up to, like, your original question, I think um, I, I like the idea of the villain being right, um, like, on some level.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I think you see that in Hungry Daughters, right? Um, Jenny meets this older woman who, like, everyone else, like, she's, you know, her mother is like, you know, you are this way and you can never let anyone know about this. You have to hide it because of it. You were a monster, right? Um, Jenny has internalized this, um, even as she's trying to embrace her powers. Um, she's like, I can never let Iko know about this. I can't let my best friend slash ex-girlfriend slash however you want to interpret that. Um, they're exes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh,
1: yeah, it's not head canon if it's the author.
0: (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha. Um, But yeah, um, she's like, i never let this person know because if she did, she would run away from me because I'm a monster. And then she meets this older woman who's like, I am just like you, but better. And you (laughs) could be like me if you stop being afraid of yourself. And I think that that message is incredibly appealing to so many people. Mm. If you could just stop being afraid of the things that you are afraid of about yourself, you could be anything. You could be beautiful and strong and confident and powerful like who doesn't want that
2: right
1: do you feel like that there is um what i'm thinking is that a lot of myths slash buffy i'm really i really was obsessed with buffy for a time <laughs> i still am is the, the idea that the the heroes tend to be from the story's point of view part monster Monster is a bit of a harsh term, but, mm-hmm. you know, they their power tends to come from what the wider world thinks of as a dark place. Mm-hmm. And I wondered if that resonated with you at all. The idea that in order to, to be heroic, there has to be some darkness. Like, you have to be intimate with it in some way.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely resonates with me. Um, I like to write about monstrous women. I think that... Um, there are a lot of things that people do in order to survive um, that people who don't have the same context, um, like ex- and experiences, would think are you know are terrible or monstrous or whatever. Um, and I think exploring that is interesting. Um, people who are willing to do what they need to in order to achieve their goals, and I think you can apply that to heroes and villains, right? Um, Just people. And and something I'm writing, I'm working on right now, uh, definitely, I think the three, maybe four core characters are all like that. Each one of them has something that they really want, and they will do anything to get it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty. I was (laughs) like, you could be, I was like, in any other story, you could be the hero, you could be the villain. Like, Mm. they're all a bit villainous.
1: Did to be you, completely honest, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I, I wondered. I i felt like you would have a, an interesting answer to this. Do you see any difference? Is there a difference between a hero, a hero, and a villain?
2: Hmm.
0: Um. I think. I think so. Hmm. I mean, it depends on like what context you mean. Like, in terms of a protagonist, probably not. But like in right. terms of a hero. I think it boils down to how many people you're willing to hurt to get your way. Um, like, in a very classic, like, good versus evil, mm-hmm. like, D&D alignment chart kind of way. Um, <laughs> I think... Uh, <laughs> like, there's a
1: threshold once you pass a certain number of dead bodies.
0: Right, yeah, probably. Okay. Um, I, and, I, I mean, it always depends on who's the ca- who the camera is following, right? So, I think, ultimately, mm. those are the big differences. Like, who is the story centered on? um and how many people are you willing to hurt um and i think those two things are what separate the hero from the villain and and they're kind of in any story they're kind of iffy right um Mm -hmm. i think you get a lot more yeah a lot more stories for kids um that are a lot more clear-cut where it's like Mm -hmm. you did a bad thing and i will stop you from doing the bad thing right like very young children but
1: mm-hmm. yeah we're superhero I, movies
0: yeah or superhero movies um <laughs> so dark and gritty who is the real superhero <laughs> perhaps it is not indeed superman like i i'm just like you know this is fine whatever um yeah but yeah i don't know i like i like my heroes villainous <laughs> <laughs> um it's it makes it more interesting um and like i said it's sexier um, so, you know.
1: <laughs> like, I've heard other horror writers discuss how it's an interesting line where you want your horror story to be scary, um, uh-huh. and you also don't want sex to be shameful or bad. And yet, because it's a horror story, if somebody has sex or has a desire, that usually mm. turns into a scary thing. Mm-hmm.
0: I think that it's really easy shorthand to be like sex, so terrifying, right? Like right. the succubus, right? Or you know, even like the kids who go out into the woods to bang and then they get offed by the monster first, right? Um, but I think it's the way that you, the way that you convey desire, um, that's really telling. You know, there are very intense ways to tie desire and fear viscerally. But there are also ways to make sex and desire, like those oasises of emotional calm in a story, um, in a story that's otherwise very terrifying. Um, I think that there are ways to celebrate sex and desire in horror stories. Um, It doesn't always have to be something that is guilty or shameful or or evil or whatever i think it's it, there's a lot of subconscious work being done uh, when you write and i think part of it is that a lot of us still feel kind of guilty about sex and ultimately it's as a writer it's just going through and being very intentional about every single thing you do um yeah. so i think it's totally doable um, <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah yeah, I mean, definitely. I prefer, I prefer, I prefer my sex and stories, kind of terrifying, but absolutely, yeah. there are ways to do it. And I've done it before, like uh, you know, like good, positive sex and, and story. Yeah. Um,
1: well, I think of it. Well, I was thinking of it because I've been reading your stories a lot, so I might just be <laughs> absorbing it. But um, that it reminds me of the way of dealing with creatures that we think of as villainous, that like sex in order for sex to be a positive thing doesn't mean you have to remove all terror from it hmm. Do you know what i mean it doesn't have to stop being sometimes a scary thing why wouldn't it be scary to open yourself to someone else mm-hmm. like that's part right. of what makes it magical um that sounds right. weirdly literal and metaphorical but um
2: mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah i mean i guess you don't have to take all the terror out of sex to make it magical Um, but I definitely feel like the, I think of it, I'm like, there are sort of tiers of horror stories that I think of. Um, the first tier is, ah, a scary thing, right? (laughs) Um, the next tier is, uh, a scary thing, but, uh, this person, but it follows me home and perhaps this person that I trust betrayed me, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and the next level is like, background is a scary thing um and the way that you know and then there is the next like ooh, here's the real scary thing but the actual scary thing is how far people are willing to go and how terrifying people are in certain circumstances so those are yeah. for my several layers um i think that sex and sex related things as scary is like tier one right right um i don't know i always i always encourage whenever i talk to friends about stories um which i feel very lucky to get to do mm-hmm. um I always ask them questions like, okay, what is the story about? And they'll say something like, "Uh, I don't know, fatherhood, right? I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, tell me more. Like, what is scary about fatherhood? You know, like, say, oh, like, fatherhood is scary. Like, what is it? Is it, like, fear of disappointment? Is it fear of, like, not being able to provide for your child? Is it fear of, like, being a bad role model? And they'll say, like, I don't know, being a bad role model. I'm like, okay, let's go deeper. What (laughs) is it about, you know, what is it about this fear um that is scary. Is it fear of passing something on? Is it like you know, is it fear of, you know, being absent and like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I'm like, okay, now what does this tell you about your protagonist? What does this tell you? Um Yeah. Um and that's where stories start. Mm-hmm. But then your job is to push it further and further and further and further. And so that's like the given. Mm -hmm. like that is just the assumed and it's obvious so you just keep going until you get to something that isn't
1: yeah does that mean that when you are feel hate or fear towards something that that like i well it seems like in your stories we'll we'll go into it that way it seems like in your (laughs) stories fear and hate are a place to begin understanding yourself
0: yes for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I I like to write people who are terrified of themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they see something that they fear, it's because something is reflected about themselves that they don't want to think about. Um, and I, I think that fear and hate is a really good point of trying to figure out what is going on with you. You know, mm-hmm. why are you feeling this why does this person bother you why does this thing terrify you and and maybe it's as simple as when i was a child i stepped on a scorpion and now i'm terrified of scorpions right? right or maybe it's something that's like when i was a child i stepped on a scorpion while in my own house and therefore the fear of the things that are closest to me um and that i take for granted being able to hurt me when i'm if i'm not always paying attention maybe that's the deeper fear right yeah. and maybe it's maybe it's not actually the the bug it maybe it's Maybe it's just fear of intimate betrayal,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but yeah, um I definitely think that what people are scared of says a lot about them, <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, more than the scary thing, perhaps
0: definitely more than the scary thing, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Is it space, or is it knowing <laughs> that your death is creeping closer and you will die alone because of your own stupid decisions <laughs>
2: like?
1: So you're in the desert and you're, you're really into the Bible or at least you're into the Bible parts that you like <laughs> raised in a religious house. Were you religious as a kid hmm. or were you always kind of separate from it?
0: Hmm. That's a really good question. I think, yeah, when I was a kid, I was very religious. Um, cause it's all, you know, hmm. um, and you know, I trusted my parents and, um, In, in a world that is largely unknowable, um, my parents are the only guide I have to tell me what is real in this world, um, outside of our house and outside of the things I can experience, um, and I think a lot of religion is kind of about that trust as well, trusting that someone else knows what's going on, (laughs) (laughs) um, and can make sense of the world in one way or another, um. You know, as I got older, I was like, mm, this is not for me. Um, but, I mean, that kind of, of trust and sort of flexible reality, um, I think characterized a lot of the way I thought about stuff when I was a kid. And specifically stories, too. I was like, well, why not? You know, why couldn't this happen? And if this happened in a world, what, were the, what would the conditions have to be? in order to make it so what would the rest of the world have to look like um hmm. so i was fine with with mutable realities as long as they made sense if that makes sense
1: <laughs> yeah 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 it does it does it's always it sounds like as a kid you, you you didn't really distinguish between the stories in the bible and the stories that you read in a book well i mean in a fiction book clearly bible stories right are in a yeah.
2: book, but <laughs> but it sounds like
1: you didn't distinguish between them really in your in your brain at the time.
0: No, I definitely didn't. I was like, well, this story is about um, you know, this story is about family betrayal um, and uh, weird magical things happening, and uh, and from that summary, it could be any number <laughs> of stories. Right. But mostly, I'm thinking like Moses and Pharaoh, okay. right? Like, <laughs> but you know, family betrayal and magical things happening are, like, one of my favorite things in stories. Um,
1: yeah. Like, in the, in the Fisher Queen, that story begins so deeply in trust with the father because the father is telling the girl stories about her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That story is speaking to what you're talking about. That's a story of betrayal and trust. Mm-hmm. But yeah, how did that yeah. story feel as it was coming together for you? Were you aware of these pieces coming together? You know, was it like a superhero moment? We were like, oh, oh, this, this, this. I get it. Now I understand myself (laughs) and the world.
0: I guess that was really my first, like, my first story that actually came together in that way. Um, I guess in that sense, it was my level up story. But um, yeah, I I was right out of college and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to write about. Um, I had been trying to write this mermaid story for like two years um, and I just could not make it happen. And the truth is it was because I wasn't interested in mermaids. I was like, I don't care about mermaids. Like Mm. my, my friend really liked mermaids and I wanted to write her something. But for me, I was like, I have to, and this is sort of what I do every time I get stuck on a story. I'm like, I have to bring it back to things I like. What are things I like? And I was like, I really like big fish. Um, And you're seeing the connection now with the sharks. Yes, yeah. um, I used to watch a show called River Monsters, uh, and it's about this guy who goes and researches big fish (laughs) and then, like, catches big fish to, like, examine them and stuff. Um,
1: Yeah, it seems like you, in some (laughs) similar way, because you were scared of drowning. So if you're scared of drowning and you're in love with sharks and you're watching River Monsters, it seems like, like, are you making friends with your fear or are you trying to learn more about what you're afraid of?
0: Hmm, I think I'm making friends with it. I think fish are fascinating. I like weird biology. So the animals in the ocean actually... Well, I said that there are certain ones that scare me, but really it's the unknown that scares me. Right. So, like, if you're walking in the ocean and you step on something weird and it poisons you and then you die, right? Like, <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> <Yeah. Oops. laughs> that, 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 that sucks. Um. So, yeah, I was like... that For me, that was the moment I was like, oh, this story is about fish. And... It is about like the old stories of mermaids where like sailors were like, I saw a hot fish woman when really it was like a manatee or like a dolphin or something. But they were like super horny and they've been on the ship for a billion years or whatever. And they were like, what kind of thing could this possibly be? Must be a hot woman, right? (laughs) Like, I, I don't know. I feel like sort of i was interested in interrogating that idea of like male sexual entitlement um Mm -hmm. and the weird stuff that it makes like it that it enables people to do based on that so i wanted to write about fish i wanted to write about those those stories of fishermen and sailors seeing fish and and imagining something sexual um you know i wanted to write about the way men think about women's bodies. And I was right out of college, and there was a lot of discussion when I was in college about sexual assault, and I wanted to write about that. Um, And I was like, what is the thing that, you know, brings it all together? And I realized that the story was about finding out that someone you love and admire is a monster in one way or another. And I was like, who's a better figure than, like, a parent? Why not? Let's do it. So, um, I have a really good relationship with my own dad, by the way, just, just throwing that out there. Um, but I was thinking about that and, and what it means to have a lot of faith in, in somebody who you trust to teach you about the way the world is, um, and to have that trust broken very abruptly. Um, and, and to realize that that person is, is just another person, Mm -hmm. a very, fallible person and i think that's something that all kids go through with their with their parents there's a point when you just realize oh my my mom is just a person like um she's not like a superhero or like a paragon of this or that and therefore whenever she does something it's not like some huge betrayal or whatever it's it's just because she's a person like and people make mistakes um yeah i think as a child you always have that realization you should anyway (laughs)
1: you absolutely should yeah yeah um i remember having that conversation with my sister my parents um fought a lot and when we were younger my mom asked us to help her so we grew up helping my mom in these fights with my dad and it was a strange um evolution to one realize our dad wasn't actually a villain or a bad guy and then to transition from seeing our mom as a bad guy exactly for doing, you know, asking us to help her. And then Mm -hmm. they just seemed like confused humans. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, when you you have that realization as a kid, it's weird because, right, you feel closer to your parents, but there's something else there, too, besides just feeling closer. I'm not sure what it is, Mm
2: -hmm. but... Yeah.
0: I think it's such an integral part of growing up where you're like, Oh, you're like me, but you know, it, I feel like it, for me, it definitely made me more interested in where my parents came from. Um, you know, and, and I've always been interested. I was like, I always want to hear the stories of how you grew up, all the funny stories about like things you did or whatever. But, you know, as I got older and had the realization, I was like, I want to know what made you the way you are. How did you mm. get to this point that I had always accepted as a given?
1: Are there any of those stories that they told you that, like, somehow it snapped them into a clearer picture?
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, I I think there were. I I definitely think there were. One that's pretty simple is my my mom grew up very Catholic. um, And uh, I think that there is a lot of trust that the Catholic Church counts on in terms of, you know, telling people the way things are. Um, Mm -hmm. and lots, like, years and years and years of tradition. I I think that in terms of the way that my mom approaches authority, um, and she's no longer Catholic. um, Now now she's, like, extremely, extremely evangelical. um, But the way my mom approaches authority and the way she wants to believe in authority, I think, is deeply rooted in that Catholic tradition.
1: I can imagine how that would... um clash with feeling that everything was mutable and this bible story is very similar in its merit like authority very similar in its authority to this um book about bunnies
0: yeah <laughs> yeah it's true <laughs> it's it's so true um
1: <laughs> is there a story you tell about yourself like a kind of origin story
0: i guess my uh my origin story is uh that I, I grew up in the desert um, in a very intensely right-wing evangelical family, um, uh, very involved in church, um, went to college, um, was, was doing church-related stuff minimum six days a week um, on top of all my classes, like church leadership stuff, and quit very abruptly um, because I was like, I'm too gay for this, bye! <laughs> Um, <laughs> was
1: that when you went to college?
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, about halfway through college, I, I shifted my entire life. Um, because the whole time I had always had these, uh, I'd always had problems with authority, I guess. Um, and um, and it's weird because I talk so much about like, sort of just accepting, things as given, but I also, I the way that people. The way that the church, um, like, explores relationships and w- between men and women and the way that, you know, the way that it said things had to be uh, without giving reasons for it. Um, sort of like, well, this is just the way it is. Um, the way it treated women, the way it tra- treated queer people, I was like, I'm not here for this. And I had never been there for it. Even as a small child, I was like, this seems stupid. And they'd just be like, well, you just have to do it. And I saw so many problems uh, happen, uh, so much unfair treatment happen because of these rules, because of the way that we were supposed to treat people. And as someone uh, who is part of several of those groups, I'm like, mm, not here for this. Uh, so eventually I, I hit my threshold and I was like, I'm out. Um, mm. So I, I left, I changed my major, I changed, like, I, I like, I broke up with my, uh, at the time boyfriend, um, and, uh, broke up with the fellowship basically at the same time. And I was like, bye, goodbye, farewell forever. (laughs) Um, and then I feel like that's when I really started being, being able to be me. Um,
2: Mm.
0: I graduated and I went to Clarion right after, uh, right after graduation. Um, And uh, at that six-week writing workshop, I started writing the things that I had always wanted to write but had always been too afraid to write about in the open.
1: Like, Mm. I had always
0: written about them but, like, coded them in several layers of, like, you cannot see this. Yeah, The Fisher Queen was my first story where I was like, I am going to write whatever the fuck I want to write and no one can stop me. And I didn't think anybody would like it or want to read my weird you know fish flesh eating story but um i was wrong and uh that felt pretty great
1: (laughs) heroes monsters uh villains all of those words they tend to be alone or lonely type people at least most Mm -hmm. of the stories i read um is that something that clicked with you something that you think about in your own writing or in life that that sense Mm -hmm. of aloneness
0: yeah although recently well I mean I guess because I was pretty lonely as a kid um so and it was always more interesting to me to go into one person's head than like have to explore a bunch of other connections um so maybe it's just Mm -hmm. me being lazy um (laughs) but but recently in the past like year or so I've really been exploring What it's like to have characters around, like, supporting characters who are actually supportive, Mm. um, not just antagonistic. Um, I think that when people think that they are monsters, they tend to self-isolate. And I write a lot of people like that. And I know a lot of friends who think that they're monsters for, I don't know, reasons that are very intimate to them. Yeah. But I don't think they are. So I'm like, hey, guys, stop isolating. Come (laughs) hang out. Like, you're great. Like celebrate yourself and they're like no so um i think that for heroes who hate themselves it makes sense that they're kind of solitary mm-hmm. for villains uh, i actually think that the best villains have a good network <laughs> people <laughs> who support and love them and are like you're great and they're like yeah i am and then they go and do evil stuff like that's my favorite thing i love okay. villain power couples they're my favorite
1: <laughs> in an essay you wrote there was a line you kept coming back to that uh someone had said about it takes a certain rage.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you
1: were talking about how when you were younger, it was it was almost too scary to put some of these things about who you really are and what you think into public. Is that moment where you became less afraid, is that connected at all to discovering rage? Like, yeah, I'm interested in what rage means to you, I guess.
2: Hmm.
0: I think it's changed. I think that people are afraid of anger, whether or not it's like constructive anger or destructive anger and I think that they're different I think that there is the petty anger of seeing other people get what you feel you were entitled to and the desire to burn it all down because you couldn't have what you wanted um, and that is the kind of anger that people are afraid of um, and that's the kind of anger that I think people think all anger is then there's like the kind of anger at like injustice um, and you know, the way people are treated and just getting fed up and maybe even being like, I'm going to burn it all to the ground because it sucks, right? (laughs) And you can see how these two things are tied together and how easily one can be poisoned. And I think for me, I've always had that like, this thing isn't right and the way that people are treated is shit. So we should fix that, even if it means burning shit to the ground and then building back up
1: Mm, yeah your stories feel very interested in morality like what we (laughs) owe owe to each other but i feel that there's something in your stories that is struggling with figuring out like what what do we owe ourselves as individuals like what can we expect from other people and what do we actually owe to other people versus Mm -hmm. what they expect from us
0: definitely 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 um i think playing with people's expectations is one of the best things you can do in stories it is one of my favorite things to do no matter what those expectations are Mm -hmm. and i write a lot about women because i think there are a lot of very specific gendered expectations for women and mostly they're bullshit (laughs) (laughs) yes i'm interested in interrogating that as what they are um and the way people react to them um one of my favorite characters is the sort of bait and switch character, um, sweet on the outside, monster on the inside. Mm-hmm. I guess I I just don't I don't like grimdark. I think it's boring. I think it's easy. It is it is easy to be like the world is terrible, 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 terrible. Hey, look, here's some shocking sexual assault. I'm like, nah, it's a uh. like maybe if I was like twelve and was like, oh, this is so deep or whatever. Like I don't I don't care. I think it's much more interesting. To have joy and um, like real moments of connection in a terrifying world. I think that is much harder to do and it's much more interesting.
1: This reminds me of like you were, uh, how your mom was asking you why you go to these dark places and why you write. And it feels, it feels connected to me somehow Um, Mm -hmm. when you're talking about what you expect or want from horror and also... Mm -hmm what it means to you, like what you think it can give to you or to the world.
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, for me, it's it's not descending anywhere. It's just writing from where I am already. I don't have to go anywhere to pull weird shit out of my head. Like, it's just there always. Um, and that's fine. Uh, I, I enjoy it. It makes <laughs> things fun. Um, but I do think the people who... Have to plumb for the darkest, most gruesome shit, and just like throw it all out there. I'm like that is tier one. I'm not interested in a in a mashup of all of Wikipedia's grossest stuff, like I just don't care. Um, I would rather I'd rather know about people mm. um, I would rather know about how people react to that stuff. I would rather see you balance things that you wouldn't necessarily think of in horror. Um, with perhaps things that you expect more.
1: You're talking about all the weird things in your head. In uh, You'll Surely Drown Here If You Stay, there is the image of the dead chicken beginning to dance (laughs) around the boy. And I, I had a sudden, I had you know, if it's not fair tell me it's not fair, but I had a sudden feeling that there was something about the way you were writing about his power that felt akin to the way that you write that you know these mm. these dead things, these scary things come to life around you, and that some part of growing up has been learning how to direct that energy.
0: I think that's very fair mm. um I think that's a really cool way of thinking about it. I love Ellis uh his name is Ellis because uh occasionally uh Starbucks people uh write Ellis on my cup um
1: <laughs> right <laughs> they also just they can't <laughs> listen to all of the syllables
0: right and then also um because he's cinderella <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. yeah. um, buried
1: pun that's the uh secret to <laughs> Alyssa's work
0: it's true um i'm terrible at puns but when i get one i'm just like yeah let's <laughs> go hard um but yeah no i think i think that it is a matter of corralling um mm. corralling things and pulling things out of the depths um that you know that I had buried for so long, and and really getting the chance to play with that stuff, that perhaps other people think I shouldn't. Um, I, I definitely I like I like that image that you just built. The idea that perhaps it is that same thing of pulling the things around you and and learning how to direct them, because I think that's exactly it. Um, also, the chicken was really fun to write. It was super fun.
1: In the story of ellis he talked about being blessed and cursed by what his parents left him i feel like it is a a fairly strong thread through a lot of your stories this conflicted feeling about home uh and conflicted feeling about kind of what you've inherited from them and i wondered I guess, one, what fascinates you about that in stories? Like, why does that feel like something that turn a narrative around? But also, I'm interested in kind of how you've come to terms with it. Like, what you think of as your gifts and your curses that you've inherited.
0: Hmm. So the first question, I, I feel like where you come from is such an important part of who a character is. Um, and I think that um, I, I'm always interested in stories that interrogate that. The questions people have about where they come from the um you know their strengths and weaknesses um i feel like there are a lot of heroes who are kind of like um and i keep saying heroes i think because i've been playing a lot of video games and like the playable characters are usually (laughs) called heroes or champions but um there are a lot of protagonists who are like yeah i'm like strong you see this in thrillers right like especially like Clive Cussler mm-hmm. kind of thrillers are like yeah I'm strong and I'm great and I perhaps there's a little bit of my past but usually because they're like adult men usually um, there's not a lot of discussion about their families or like where they where they come from, their parents
1: I'm um, thinking James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing.
0: Nothing. Right. It was just. Yeah. Like were you, were you born from the ether? Like what, what happened? <laughs> um, but I think especially as like an Asian American person as like uh, mm-hmm. the child of diaspora right i you know you always grow up knowing that where you come from makes you different from the people around you um and there are places in in the states where i think legacy is really important um i would say definitely east coast um like in the south legacy is incredibly important um i and i i only know this because like i i'm in the south now um right it's not a big deal in Arizona. You get, you
1: get both. You got the East Coast and the South.
0: Yeah. So um, yeah. it's it's an always present part of of you when you are a minority. Like these are the things that make you different from the people around you. So where you come from is really important to who you are because it's dictated all of your actions and it's helped develop develop you into a person and the person you are. So for me, it just makes sense to interrogate like where you came from and where you got the things that made you the person you are now um like it it doesn't make any sense to be like oh i'm just a normal person because what what the fuck does that even mean you know um you know your experiences shape you and i think that if you have the luxury of being unaware of the fact that your experiences shape you that means that you've lived a very charmed life <laughs> <laughs> um in terms of things i inherited uh my mother always says well i know that i'm very much like my dad in temperament um and the way i think about things but my mom always said that i was i got my temper uh from her mother (laughs) my grandma um and that's always been a double-edged sword uh because my grandma is very fierce but she also um is a bit unbalanced so uh one of those things where you wonder how much you inherited from people you know is it just a Mm -hmm. little bit is it is it is it just enough to make you interesting or is it just (laughs) enough to make you dangerous right like what are the things yes
1: yeah yeah one of my great uncles had schizophrenia Mm -hmm. and my 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 granddad had had some alcoholism and other things that he dealt with anyway yes that question Mm -hmm. um is is a kind of a haunting one At some point, will it erupt out of me?
0: Right, exactly. Um, And I think I'm very lucky to know about some of the weird stuff genetically that I've inherited. Um, Here's a weird one, I'll tell you. Uh, I have a blood disorder where I don't clot very well. (laughs) So I'm just like, well, hope I don't get any major trauma. Like, this is fine. Um, um, But yeah, I also write a lot about motherhood. Um, because that's really interesting to me, but Um. I think people think that it's like me writing about my mom, but it's mostly just me writing about my own fears of motherhood.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah.
0: What kind of weird shit are you going to pass on to your kids? You know, if I have kids, am I going to give them this horrible blood disease thing that I have? Right. Um, am I going to give them any number of the learned behaviors that I have? Um, if the kid turns out weird, this is, like, the classic parents thing. Like, if the kid turns out weird in any way, shape, or form, is it, like, because of some, quote-unquote, failing of mine? Which I think is something right. my parents wonder sometimes. Because, <laughs> um, not going to lie, right. the kid turned out weird. Um, but, uh, yeah. I th-
1: but, I But, like, it's award-winning <laughs> weird, so.
0: I guess that's true. It is award-winning weird. Um, I think that it is easy for parents to take things the way their children are. To take that personally, when really they shouldn't, um, because I think to take things that aren't yours to take personally, personally, um, it's just a way of trying to exert control over things, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. like that like that one story you wrote.
0: <laughs> Fist of Permutations? Yes. That one is, that one's all about trying to control the narrative after the fact.
1: Have you read um, Helen Oyeyemi's book, What Is Not Yours Is Not Yours? <gasps>
0: no, I want to though.
1: I think you might love it, it's... <laughs> All of the stories are centered on that, that Uh. idea of figuring out a way to not take what doesn't belong to you, both in a, the way we often think of it as like you stealing something from someone else or trying to impose your will on someone else. But also the way that guilt often really functions as a way of self-empowerment in a strange way, because if you feel guilty for it, then that means that it's your fault, which means it was within your power.
2: Mm Mm-hmm mm-hmm
0: that is exactly it i just i'm just like i don't have time for guilt no i mean like because i'm like i felt guilty about stuff for a long time and i'm like mm-hmm. ultimately i could keep try like i could i could keep feeling guilty i could wallow in my guilt i could try to grab hold of, of things that don't belong to me through my guilt um or i could try to handle it in a more healthy way and relinquish that control to the people who actually own whatever it is that I'm feeling guilty about. Mm -hmm. I could feel guilty from like now until I die. Um, but I, I really do feel like, I feel like guilt is really unhelpful. I think that it is unhelpful if there is no action paired with it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, I think it's fine to feel guilty if it gets you to do stuff. I think that if you just feel generally guilty about stuff, then it's like, it takes a toll on you, and why are you doing it if you don't do anything about it? Um, yeah. So, and, and if, if what you get out of it is that, you know, it's, it's a way of trying, I mean, I feel like guilt is about making things about you. Yeah. You know, it's, it's pulling things into, into your sphere of control, um, I think that that's, like, super unnecessary. Um, I think that the best thing to do is to have a healthy relationship with what really does belong to you and and what doesn't. Um, Guilt is a good way to control people, too, and I'm not here for that.
1: Yes. Yeah, that is true. I find that to be the most complicated thing in thinking about um, my mom or other people in my life Mm -hmm. and, and me as well because... It feels hard but I I find it difficult the amount that ha- the amount of hate that you build up towards someone that is controlling you mm-hmm. or attempting to control you through guilt mm-hmm. because they seem to be adopting a weak weaker stance and I grew up really confused about anger because it you know how can you be angry at someone for being weak
2: Mhm Mhm yeah. yeah
0: That makes sense
1: I have no idea how to ask this question, but <laughs> when you were talking about the desert and you were talking about rattlesnakes and scorpions and trash pigs, um, <laughs> you talked about how you, you know, you found a lot of that landscape and a lot of those those animals beautiful that other people don't. And, I, and what I'm thinking about is why, why you or why some people are able to see that beauty where other people just see ugliness? Hmm because it seems i uh, hear here's and here's the confusing part to me uh i also often see beauty in things that people find ugly mm-hmm. and it feels like me and everyone i know who is a bit like that tended to grow up with some sense that they themselves were ugly mm-hmm. or yeah yeah
0: actually that um i i think that i always thought that there was something wrong with me um because mm-hmm. i i liked these weird things you know um because i had like a dark imagination um
1: mm-hmm. and
0: my mom would tell me that you know she's like why do you like these dark things like why can't you write something that's lighter or more edifying um she used c.s lewis as like the example but i'm like <laughs> oh, man wow. c.s lewis wrote some like dark gory shit like oh yeah but um but she was like chronicles of narnia and i was like uh there was almost child sacrifice on a s- stone slab so i don't know what you're talking about but uh
1: but you know she was also into the bible and i'm sure she wouldn't think of that as full of of blood lust <laughs> that's um, true but it's a lot of blood there's a lot there's so much uh, violence there's a lot of bone magic in the bible really it's just full of it that's true uh, but anyway um you were but saying
0: yeah uh i mean i always thought that there was something a little bit wrong with me um and i was okay with that i was okay with the idea that maybe there was something terribly wrong with me and I and I wasn't well I wasn't okay with it for a long time and then at a certain point I was like I guess this is just how I am I'll just have to deal with it like I'm a little bit weird and maybe I'm a little bit wrong but like that's how it is and I, I think I think yeah it was it was always interesting to see the things that people didn't like and find out if I also didn't like them, and maybe I did. Maybe I did like them, and maybe that made me wrong. Maybe that proved that I was wrong. But in truth, like, it, it didn't. just meant I like trash pigs, like, and scorpions, and, mm-hmm. and rattlesnakes, like, and sharks. Um, maybe, quote-unquote, normal kids my age yeah. didn't, but I mean, it didn't make me more or less special, better, wrong, whatever. Um... It just made me whatever the fuck I am, and I'm okay with that.
1: <laughs> One side note, mm-hmm. which is Fisher Queen begins my mother was a fish. Mm-hmm. Is that a Faulkner thing or is that total coincidence?
0: Oh my god, so it was total coincidence. And then and okay. then I was reading Faulkner and I was like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh shit. <laughs>
1: it's perfect i love it it's like it's um yeah we'll come back to that (laughs) but the there's a there's a questionnaire that this guy james lipton did on his show inside the actor's studio Mm -hmm. that he took from a french show and i took and so uh it's kind of adapted on that it's 10 questions and you don't need to think too much just answer whatever comes to mind
0: okay sure sure
1: what is your favorite word
0: uh oh god I don't know why the word slither is coming to mind, but it's not my favorite word. I have no idea what my favorite word is. Um, maybe it's sneer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. What is your least favorite word?
0: Uh, hmm, I was going to say I don't really have words that I don't like. But um, probably some word that sounds like another word. Like probably some really simple basic word. I don't know why the word bubble, like to bubble up and down is like coming to mind. It's probably not that, but let's go with that. Why not?
1: <laughs> okay. Which
0: is weird. It's,
1: yeah. Um, what is your favorite smell?
0: I would say either roses or mint tea.
1: What is your least favorite smell?
0: <laughs> it's like farts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you wish that you knew more about?
0: A lot of things. Um, I think something that I wish I knew more about was uh, the feelings associated with masculinity. Especially toxic masculinity, because it's super easy. But I think I wish I knew more about the pressures of assuming masculinity. Because I know some about it, but I don't know a ton. And it seems very intriguing to me. Because um, it's something that I think, for the most part, is pretty closed off to me.
1: What do you wish that you knew less about?
2: Hmm.
0: Um, I have a very intense answer, but what I think I'm going to say instead is all the ways um, that the human body is filthy and can deteriorate. I wish I knew a lot less about that. Um, I, I know a lot about that. <laughs>
1: Um, let's pretend for a moment that your life has a soundtrack what song is playing when you're at your happiest
0: uh right now probably um Madian's, uh Pay No Mind featuring Passion Pit I think um it's just so cheerful just mm. every time I hear it it makes me happy um so probably that
1: what is your favorite kind of story
2: hmm
0: messy ones um messy sexy uh slightly stressful ones um yeah
1: uh what is your least favorite kind of story
0: boring (laughs) uh i'm just like these are not particularly highbrow answers but um they encompass a lot of things um yeah like boring basic I'm like if i've if I've seen this before and there's nothing new about it I, I'm just not interested um, if it is uh, super dense and it takes itself too seriously then I'm not interested um, if um, you know but if I feel like there is a certain rawness to a story then I'm very interested um, mm-hmm. and usually it means emotional rawness um, but um Yeah, I think that there are a lot of very um, acclaimed, well, no, that's wrong. I would say that, no, that yeah, that's definitely wrong. I would say that there are a number of stories that many friends have recommended to me um, based on hype or concepts, but for me, I found the execution lacking. um, Because for me, it's not enough to be like, oh, this story uh, deals with math or gender or um, you know, rediscovering an old mythos um, in a way that, like, I think is really cool and very, um, you know, in a way that's exciting to me. And I'm just like, if the, for me, if the characters are not there, um, if um, the emotional intensity and complexity is not there, um, if it's not clear, sometimes the story is very, like, um, on, on the surface, intellectually interesting, but if it's not communicated in a way that i feel is clear enough to be effective um and i have to kind of fight my way through a story that i'm just not interested um i i think that there are absolutely deft masterful ways of of making a story clear and you know illuminating without losing any of that intellectual complexity um like if your story isn't particularly accessible to like you know, a reader who doesn't know anything about this already, then I'm just not interested. I don't care whether or not you're doing groundbreaking things with, uh, you know, gender and, um, like, and math. If I can't understand it, if that makes sense. Um, you know, if you're not at at all, like trying to engage me.
1: Last question. Um, so back to William Faulkner. The Faulkner, Uh, said somewhere that the only thing worth writing about was the heart in conflict with itself. Uh, What I wonder is if if he came back from the dead, you know, he did a little bone magic, Faulkner came back, (laughs) and so he decided, I'm going to write the story of Alyssa Wong. Oh, God. What do you think that story would be about?
0: Oh, God, like, like, like my,
1: like me? Yeah, like in terms of your heart in conflict with itself?
2: Hmm. Oh, God.
0: I would say probably it would be about someone who is not always as confident as they need to be. I think probably it would be about someone, like I said, whose biggest weakness is a faltering lack of confidence, um, which I am working on, but... uh, And... Who I think has been conflicted for a long time about whether or not writing what they really know and want to write about, whether or not that's the like whether or not that's okay. The that is like the thing that I have gotten over and am still pushing my way through the last bits of. I think probably someone with complicated relationships with uh, family. Of course. Um and uh probably weird magic powers, duh. Uh obviously. <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah.
1: You can find out more about Alyssa at her website crashwong dot net or on Twitter at Crashwong. You can find a version of this interview featuring informative footnotes and an illustrious illustration of Alyssa by our very own E.G. Kosh at our website, Storyological.com. While at our website, be sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe to this podcast and check out our past episodes and interviews of particular interest, perhaps, that episode from season one in which we discussed Alyssa Wong's story, Hungry Daughters of Starving Mothers. Look for a link to that episode in our show notes. You can find and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Storylogical, and you can follow us on Twitter at Storylogical. I'm on Twitter at Kuvals, and you can follow E.G. on Twitter at, you guessed it, E.G. Storylogical is a podcast about stories, in particular, short stories. In particular, any sort of short story that amazes us. If you want to support us in sharing that love, there's a few ways you can do that. One, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And that helps people find us, which is pretty awesome. If you are constitutionally, religiously, or otherwisely opposed to Apple, you could pick one episode, for example, this interview, and share it on social media, making sure to tell people why it is that you love what you love. Three, you can head over to our new Patreon page at patreon.com slash storyological, where you can pledge any amount of dollars a month and receive access to our patron-only feed If you pledge $3 a month, you will receive a newsletter from me called Chris Reviews Everything, in which I generally fail to review everything, but it's the thought that counts, right? Thanks for listening, readers. Happy reading.